Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Counseling on the Four Center podcast feed, the show that believes absolutely every little part of Star Wars is great from a certain point of view. I am your host. My name is Joseph Scrimshaw. With me is a special guest. Not really special because the guest is here almost every episode, but still 
that special to always be here from a certain point of view. Isn't that special? Anyway, my guest is a small sip of whiskey here on the planet Earth. It is called Jameson. That's what the whiskey is. But on this Star Wars counseling podcast, I'm going to call it a, a Corellian crash landing. Let's taste it right now. Mmm. Tastes like impact. Anyway. Let's get into this. So this is, of course, Star Wars Counseling, where I try to make people feel better about the parts of Star Wars that bother them. We've got a lot of grievances. We've been doing a lot of uh, Last Jedi episodes. We recently did an episode all about getting excited for the Han Solo movie. In this episode, we are going to address another grievance about The Last Jedi. I think it's one that a lot of people had when the movie first came out. Maybe this grievance is dissipating a little bit, but uh, I'm very, very interested in it, and I wanted to be sure to tackle this one. It is the comedy of The Last Jedi. This grievance was sent in by a person whose name I'm going to try to say correctly. That is true of every grievance that has ever been sent in. As always, I pre-apologize if I mispronounce your name. A lot of people are kind of into the mispronunciations at this point, and I think it is getting to the point of, is it a bug or is it a feature? I don't know. I will let each individual listener decide for themselves if you would like me to for sure say your name correctly or get closer. When you send in grievances, feel free to let me know the phonetic spelling of your name. I believe this grievance was sent to us by Kai Tosh. K-H-A-I-T-H-A-C-H. Here's what this great Star Wars fan has to say. Grievance! I did not like the jokes. Let me be more clear and specific. I thought the jokes were funny. They made me laugh. And I don't think there was too much of it throughout the film. But some bits took me out of the galaxy, most specifically with Luke. Some of the things he did felt too much like Mark Hamill. When he tosses the lightsaber over his shoulder, that felt like something we would see Mark doing at a Q&A to get a laugh. And the way he brushes his shoulder off, that's a very common gesture that came from this world's pop culture. This in quotation marks, meaning our planet Earth where the whiskey is called Jameson. More than anything, it didn't feel like it came from the character. I can't recall any moments where Luke did something funny. It felt like Mark asked Ryan, hey, let me try some takes and do something different, but he did them as himself and not as Luke Skywalker. Am I wrong? Help me, Master Scrimshaw. Show me the path to the light. Well, I will certainly try. Thanks for sending in the grievance, and thanks for all of the details so I can truly understand your perspective. First off, I would like to say that the comedy in The Last Jedi, did take me back uh, at first because it was so bold. And at first, I mean the first viewing. The comedy is very, very uh, distinct. It is there. You can't ignore it. It's right there in your face. But on my second through fifth viewings, the comedy did not seem anywhere near as uh, loud, anywhere near as prominent, and uh, I came to love it. Now, I enjoyed it on the first viewing, and I laughed, but I had some reactions myself that were like, mm, let me think about how that, uh, where's that comedy coming from, and does it land well, does it disrupt the scene, is it true to Star Wars? All of those things that I think a lot of hardcore Star Wars fans go through when they're seeing a new Star Wars thing for the first time. Now, I have come down on the side of, I love the comedy in The Last Jedi, and it is for two specific reasons. For me, 
uh, I think Star Wars comedy should kind of be bold. With bold comedy, sometimes it's going to work for some people and sometimes it's not. We're going to talk a lot more about that. But to me, Star Wars has always had a very bold and a very goofy sense of humor, uh, very broad in some ways. Uh, and that goes back to right away in A New Hope. We have beats like Han chases some stormtroopers, rounds a corner, sees that there are more of them, then yells and runs away. That's big, broad humor. We've just gotten really used to it. It's like, that's a scene from Star Wars. But the truth is, when you first saw it, that's a big old joke. Uh, We have things like Leia calling Chewbacca a walking carpet. That's just a straight-up, bold joke. It's the kind of thing that maybe if we heard for the first time, not in A New Hope, but The Last Jedi, people might say, walking carpet. Do they have carpet in Star Wars? Does that sound like Star Wars? But since we know it so well from A New Hope, we forget that that's just a bold, right-out-there joke joke. The characters themselves in A New Hope make specific on-purpose jokes in the context of the movie. Things like saying we're all going to be a lot thinner when they're about to be crushed by the garbage compactor, uh, the trash compactor. That is a straight-up joke. Uh, There's a, a more, I think, kind of deeper, more subtle joke where 3PO thinks that everyone is dying in the trash compactor because he mistakes their screams of joy for screams of death. That is also a straight-up joke, a bold, straightforward joke. Going all the way to the present, even in Rogue One, there are big, bold jokes. Rogue One has almost literal slapstick. The word slapstick for big physical comedy comes from a stick that people literally slapped one another with in vaudeville, and we basically see K2SO do that. He slaps Cassian in the face to shut him up, and K2's big old robot arm is basically a stick. So that's reason number one. I think Star Wars should have comedy. I think it should be bold, sometimes goofy, no doubt about it, comedy. The second reason I really love the comedy in The Last Jedi is a little bit of a disagreement with the grievance, and we'll get into more of that, but I feel like the humor does come from the character. To me, it is not shoved in. It is not a silly or ironic thing that is stuck there because, hey, this movie is too serious, so let's have someone trip for no reason, or, hey, this is getting a a little too grim. What if somebody makes a pop culture reference? To me... There is nothing like that. Almost every single little thing that makes me laugh or even smile in The Last Jedi also makes perfect sense to me from the perspective of the character. That said, comedy is, of course, subjective. Comedy is super subjective. When you think of Star Wars as being subjective, which of course it is, that's like saying, oh, hey, I lit a match in my home. That's the level of subjective that Star Wars is. The level of subjective that comedy is is, hey, my entire home is on fire. I think comedy is perhaps one of the most subjective things that exists in our human culture, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. I'm going to basically say a lot of stuff about Star Wars and a lot of stuff about comedy in an effort to address this grievance because comedy is probably my number one obsession in life. I have spent a ton of my life performing comedy of all different kinds, performing it for all kinds of different live audiences. I've done sketch, I've done improv, I've written plays, I've done comedy uh, where the audience is not live, where I've written things uh, for the screen and then got a chance to sit and watch people react 
in a theater and see if they actually laugh or not. Uh, I have done a lot of discussing and analyzing of comedy. I've done uh, panels at a, a bunch of different conventions about the nature of comedy. And all of this comes down to my own personal adventure in life. Uh, when I graduated high school, I went to college because that's what you do. You go to college so you can make money. I got a liberal arts degree. I have made very little money because of my college degree. But I took one class, one class that made it worth the thousands of dollars that I paid just in interest on my college loans. And that class was called The Function and Purpose of Comedy. It was a class all about comedy theory, and I am going to employ some of those things that I learned in that class that I have been using and talking about throughout my career to address comedy in The Last Jedi. Basically, what is happening right now, as you are listening, you are listening to a human being desperately trying to justify the tens of thousands of dollars they spent on a liberal arts degree. So thank you for that. So the title of that class was about function and purpose. So it's how comedy actually works, how is it actually delivered, and then why. Why do we tell jokes? Why do we crave jokes? How do jokes succeed? First, we're going to focus on the how. Now, to me, all comedy comes from contrast, and it comes from simple contrast and very complex versions of contrast. You can see the basic concept of comedy coming from contrast if you just start with uh, talking to a child. So this is something that is ingrained in humans to have this weird kind of violent response to break into laughter when something doesn't quite make sense. If you approach a child and you say, hey, child, can you tell me what noise a dog makes? And they'll make a barking noise. And you go, actually, I think a dog says moo. And the child will either laugh or get very, very angry, but usually laugh because it's a contrast. We expect the dog to make one noise. In the joke, the dog makes a cow noise that is wrong and hilarious. That's the really simple version of contrast for when we're young. But as we grow older, uh, we get contrast from surprising things. Like an example I always think of that amuses me is there is a meme a few years back of Benedict Cumberbatch matched up with otters making the exact same facial expression as Benedict Cumberbatch. That is uh, delightful on many levels, but one of them is just, it's a contrast. Benedict Cumberbatch is a dashing, successful, handsome movie star. He is about everything that a human can accomplish. He should not be the same as a wet river animal, and yet he is. Contrast. Surprise. So to me, comedy always has an expectation and a surprise. It has a setup line and a punchline. Even jokes that don't have a literal setup line have a cultural one. Uh, if you think of like really standard setup knockdown jokes, going back to the classic example of uh, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? Well, there you have a literal spoken setup line and a punchline. But the way I see comedy is there's always a setup line before the punchline. The setup line is often not spoken, and it is just a cultural truth that we share in. Uh, for example, decades ago, it used to be 
hilarious when a male comedian uh, put on a dress and a bunch of makeup because back then we had the cultural expectation that women look like this and men look like this. I don't think it's as funny to a lot of people right now because we have a broader definition of what people can and can't wear or be. So it's not as hilarious for a person who is male to dress up like a person who is not male. For a lot of people, that's just Tuesday, and that's fine. Another example of this is just sort of a physical slapstick. In particular, somebody falling down, like falling down in real life. Because falling down isn't necessarily funny in a movie because there isn't surprise because it's been overused, it's been overdone, you need to come at it in a clever way to get that surprise part of it. But in terms of a cultural setup line, I think we have ingrained in us the idea that we are humans. We have evolved to become the masters of this reality. We are spiritual creatures. We are creatures that are led by our minds. And yet, if we hit a patch of ice, we cannot uh, withstand that physical reality and we are thrown to our asses. There's this contrast between the expectation of we should be able to control our destiny and whoops, I fell on my ass. We are so advanced as a culture, we can send robots to Mars. But if we do not properly tie our shoelaces, we will fall over and break ourselves. You don't need to have somebody literally say, hey, I see a person walking. Uh, they are a master of their own bodies. They are an advanced being. And then they trip. It might make it a little funnier, actually, to hear that verbally spoken out loud. But you don't need that verbal setup because it's in a cultural agreement. So to me, comedy becomes very, very subjective, not only because of taste, because of uh, how successful the joke is and the way it's told, but because of the cultural baggage we bring with us. If the setup line doesn't make sense to us culturally, the punchline just won't be funny. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about how contrast works when you're actually building a joke. It has to be contrast that makes some kind of sense. Basically, a joke breaks logic, it breaks uh, your expectations, and it creates a surprise, but it has to be a surprise that does make some actual sense. You can't just randomly smash two things together and have it be a successful joke. You can't be like, you know, hey, would you like to hear a joke? Instead of a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, what if it was like a, a peanut butter and fire sandwich? Like fire instead of jelly. Because it's different, because you expected the sandwich to be peanut butter and jelly, but instead of jelly, now it's just, it's burning. It's a fire. Now that's, that's shocking in a lot of different ways, but it's not particularly funny. Now if you just went to a stand-up club and you heard a stand-up say, hey, what about instead of peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and fire, that wouldn't be funny, because it would have no real context uh, for the contrast. But it might be funny in the context that I'm saying it because we have a new setup line, the cultural agreement that jokes should be funny. The punchline then becomes not that it's fire instead of jelly, but that what I said isn't funny, which is contrast from the expectation that it should be funny, which then becomes funny. Comedy! Anyway, in my opinion, how a joke functions can be analyzed, it can be studied, it can be agreed upon, but your mileage for whether or not it actually works to produce a laugh is very, very subjective given uh, the delivery, given your own cultural experience and tastes. For example, I don't like Darth Vader's pun in Rogue One about choking on your ambitions for a couple of reasons, because to me, 
it doesn't make sense to his character. Now, people who like that joke uh, will say, but Vader has made jokes before. Apology accepted, Captain Nita. I find your lack of uh, faith disturbing. Great. He's always said those in front of an audience. There was no one listening unless like the emperor was watching over like the hollow net and the emperor was just cracking up at that. Darth Vader normally makes those uh, those jokes in a menacing way in front of other people to compound the terror. I think Krennic, when he was choking, was not saying to himself, you know what would make this even more terrifying? A pun. I mean, I'm, I'm, he's choking me to death with his mind, but what would really send me into terror is if he just had a great dad pun. So to me, that's an example of subjective, and uh, I don't think it works because I don't think that Vader is making the joke for another character's benefit. I think he's making it for the audience's benefit. Also, it's a pun, which is different than just wordplay, and that's a whole thing. Anyway, I'll go counsel myself about that. Let's get into the actual comedy of The Last Jedi. I think for it to be successful, we all want it to make sense in the world of Star Wars, and we all want it to make sense coming from the characters. So let's look at some specific jokes, see how they work, and if we think they come from the character. We'll start with good old Luke Skywalker, as person, a character who is in a dark place and yet had a lot of funny beats. One of my favorite and one of the most just bold, boldly comic scenes is when Luke is teaching Ray to use the Force and he tickles her with the little green leaf reed thing. There's a bunch of little mini jokes within this overall joke scene. So we have as a setup that we, the audience, already know what Force training is. We know that in general, it's a serious and somber thing. We know what reach out means. And of course, we know that Luke meant reach out with your feelings. But Ray, being young and naive, literally physically reaches out. So we have a setup and then a broken expectation. We've got some nice juicy contrast. But there's even more going on in this scene. We know that teachers are supposed to be kind and nurturing. That's a general cultural agreement that we have in our head about teachers. Uh, Luke breaks that expectation because he is not being kind. He's not being supportive. He's being a smart ass. And going back to slapstick, he literally slaps her hand with the little leaf reed thing, making a nice sharp contrast, a nice clean pop that causes the audience to laugh. There's also just the contrast between the nature of the Force. Over all of this time of watching these movies and in the world of the movies, we have learned that the Force is this giant, incredible, amazing thing that is everywhere, that maybe has a will of its own. It's the most spiritual thing possible. Millions have died trying to bring it back into balance, whatever that means. And all of that is contrasted with, he's tickling her fingers and she doesn't see it. To me, it's it's great. I love the whole thing because it makes sense to me from the perspective of both Ray and Luke's character. To me, Luke isn't doing this for the benefit of the audience. Luke is doing this because it is his true feelings. Luke has agreed to teach Ray about the Force, but only to make his point that 
the Force is in balance without the hubris of the Jedi. It's the only reason he's showing her this. He doesn't really want to train her. His heart is not in it. He sees in this moment her youth and her enthusiasm and how quickly her youth, her enthusiasm, her uh, naivete will lead her to just not understanding. And he is, of course, annoyed by that. This is exactly why he doesn't want to train her. Not because it's wrong for Ray to be young and enthusiastic. It's because Luke is projecting. Luke is mad at himself for all of that youth and enthusiasm that he had that led him to make all of these mistakes that he is currently upset about. He sees himself basically just repeating the cycle in that moment. To me, there is a great bit of Star Wars comedy poetry from when Luke literally cracks his head on Yoda's ceiling. That's a great bit in Empire Strikes Back where he is trying to tell everyone that he is ready for the somber duty to become a Jedi, but he can't even remember that the ceiling is low in Yoda's hut. So to me, it all works functionally and it works from Luke's character perspective that he doesn't want to deal with with that same youth enthusiasm and foolishness that he had when he was young. And from Ray's perspective, she doesn't know anything about the Force. Why would she? So she is being eager. And immediately, this this comedy scene shifts gear beautifully into Luke doing some actual teaching once he gets past his frustration, once Ray gets past her enthusiasm. And of course, she immediately connects with the Force. Another Luke and Ray humor moment that to me is very bold and gets a nice big laugh in the theater is their conversation about Jakku, where Luke is asking her, where do you come from? And she says, I'm from nowhere. And he says, no one is from nowhere. And then she says, well, Jakku. And then he says, okay, that is pretty much nowhere. And the contrast to me here is the shift from nowhere being a metaphorical space and nowhere suddenly being a literal space. This is sort of akin to some of the Force stuff that I've been talking about. Luke is talking in this sort of big philosophical way about no one is from the concept of nowhere. Everyone comes from something. It actually ties into these deep themes of uh, what Ray fears, that she is from nowhere, that she has no part in the story. And Luke is saying, everyone has a part in the story. Everyone comes from somewhere. There is no such thing as nowhere. And then in this great moment, when Ray says, Jakku, that concept of nowhere suddenly becomes a literal physical place. Oh, yeah, that that actual planet. Sure, yeah, that's nowhere. I mean, there's no such thing in this big, beautiful galaxy as nowhere, except for that just crap hole Jakku. That place is literally physically nowhere. And now another thing to me that is funny on not, not quite a meta level, but getting close, is that we have had this long-standing tradition of hearing about planets that are remote. They're not part of the core worlds. They're on the outer rim. They're in wild space. They're in the unknown regions, desolate Tatooine that no one cares about, that nothing ever important ever happens except for most of the events of the original trilogy. Not most, a lot. We have this cultural knowledge of the history of allegedly unimportant little planets in Star Wars. Now we get to this sequel trilogy, and to me it's this funny contrast that our heroes, so far Luke and Han, both really do think Jakku is nowhere and hate it. Maybe we'll even get some deeper canon on why exactly, like, Jakku? That dump? 
Now, to different people, the success of that little scene and that joke within that scene, I think is all going to depend on your subjective taste of how comedy is delivered. I love scenes like this where somebody is having a serious conversation, and then for just a moment, there's a tonal shift. And the tonal shift is a part of the contrast that gets the laugh. And in my opinion, Mark Hamill delivers it expertly. I think Mark Hamill is a lover of comedy, and I think he's a great deliverer of comedy. The delivery of that line of, okay, that is nowhere, is tossed over his shoulder. It's just a half step uh, of pause. It's not even a full pause in the energy of that scene. Luke is driving. He wants to know where she is from. She is claiming she's from nowhere. This is the first time in the movie we see him engaged. He wants to know why she has been drawn to this uh, tree library, why she has seen it in her visions. And he is asking, who are you? Who are you? Yeah, Jakku sucks. Who are you? Who are you? And to me, rhythmically, it really, really works. And it's a bit of honesty. Uh, Even when comedy is big and brash, it's, to me, a reflection of reality, because I think we've all had very serious moments or big fights where in the middle of them, somebody says something kind of funny or weird or discordant, and it's kind of funny, but we're not really in the place to laugh. But then we think back, like, yeah, you know, when we were in the middle of that, uh, that big fight as a husband and wife, uh, but then you accidentally said the word shart instead of shark, you know, we didn't pause to laugh, but it was funny in that moment. Now, to me, those are both examples of some Luke comedy where uh, Luke as a character is maybe aware that something humorous has happened. Certainly, when he is teasing Rey about the nature of the Force, he is playing a joke on her. And uh, maybe, maybe you could interpret the, okay, that is nowhere, is is Luke having a little bit of a sense of humor or a sense of whimsy or, you know, just a sense of acknowledging this kind of funny truth that Jakku is a nothing planet. But there are definitely some examples of jokes or moments of comedy where they are not coming from the characters intentionally. The characters do not intend them as jokes. And one of the big ones, it is mentioned in the grievance for this episode, is Luke tossing the lightsaber. Now, to me, there is no world where Luke Skywalker said, I got a bit. This will be funny. Now, in some of my viewings, I saw it five times, in some of the viewings, people laughed. Uh, because it's a shock, it's a surprise, it's a contrast. But to me, it's not a joke. It's what the character is doing. We as the audience might react out of almost nervous laughter in a way, but that is just the truth. Luke is being presented with this lightsaber. He is shocked that someone has found him. We know now that he was closed off with the Force. He didn't know that Han died. He didn't sense the Falcon approaching. He was just standing there, staring out at the ocean, and suddenly this person he's never met, it's not his daughter, uh, as many people had guessed. It's not his niece. It's not, oh, of course, that's the granddaughter of Palpatine. There's just some woman, and she is handing a lightsaber to him that, in theory, unless canon changes this somewhere, he hasn't seen in decades since his father cut off his hand and she is reaching it out to him as if to say, you must return. Now, I like to think Luke has thought of this day of like, what if somebody finds me? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Han? Is it going to be Leia? Who, who is it going to be the whole First Order? Is somebody going to find me? Is somebody going to want me to return to the galaxy, to return to the battle? And he knows already that his answer is no. 
So once we get that little bit of processing time at the end of The Force Awakens and a couple seconds at the beginning of The Last Jedi, Luke wants to communicate very, very clearly, do not want. I was going to say that in a more serious way, but uh, let's make a joke. It's a comedy episode of Star Wars Counseling. He doesn't want this, and he is trying to show that to Rey as clearly, succinctly, and quickly as possible. Now, in my interpretation, that is the character truth of Luke Skywalker, but to some people watching the movie, it's a joke, and that is a contrast, but to me, it's a very meta contrast that creates the possibility of that laughter, and the meta contrast is the buildup from The Force Awakens to the release of The Last Jedi. Of course, we all, uh, for the most part, I, I should not say all, many people love the end of The Force Awakens, thinks it's so great, all the mix of emotions on Luke's face. What does it mean? What will be his first words? Will he just uh, grab that lightsaber with the Force and start fighting Ray? Who knows? All of these theories about what he will say. And then we get to The Last Jedi, and his reaction is to just toss it over his shoulder. It creates a contrast when you think of the millions of think pieces, the hours of podcasts, mine included, wondering about this, and then, bam, just tossed over the shoulder. Now, I realize that is a reason that a lot of people don't like it, but my counseling on this is, if you're laughing at that moment, you're laughing at a, a cultural contrast, you're not laughing at a truth of the characters, if that makes sense. Luke isn't trying to be funny. Luke is not staring at the camera and going, you shouldn't have written those think pieces. He is communicating something to Ray, something very, very serious of, I don't want this. I'm not your hero. Now, in all these examples of comedy relating to Luke, coming from Luke, a comedy that is just happening around Luke, it's this great sign that the Luke we've always known is in there. Uh, the Luke we've always known has a, a sense of humor. He has a sense of adventure. He has a sense of play. But more than anything, Luke Skywalker, one of his defining traits, and one he inherited from his father, Anakin, is a lack of patience. And a lot of the jokes in The Last Jedi come from a frustration, a frustration that he doesn't want this particularly the whole beginning of teaching Ray and the, the tickling scene is about a lack of patience. So I've been talking a lot about comedy uh, coming from contrast about how it smashes two things together. And when you think of some of these moments with Luke, I think why comedy is, is so gratifying is that sometimes the two ideas, the two very different ideas that get smashed together to produce comedy are truths two different truths about a singular person. It's what is beautiful about comedy, comedy to me is that it is a way for us to admit that humans contain multitudes. And sometimes when we see truth A about one person and truth B about that same person, you smash them together and you see that they don't track, that they don't make sense together. We cope with that by laughing. But we're also seeing that truth, that no human is just a, a cartoon character in real life that always thinks the same thing. We are funny, funny creatures because we seem to have this cultural agreement that our actions should make sense. But when you study your own actions and the actions of your friends, our choices often make little to no sense or are 
directly counterproductive to what we say we want. That's just a part of the human condition, and I think we cope with it and celebrate it with laughter. So to me, the fact that Luke is showing contrast uh, in all of his humor between different perspectives, different desires, different needs, just makes him all the more human. Now, beyond uh, Luke, there are lots of other jokes in The Last Jedi. I could do like an 18-hour podcast probably about the jokes in The Last Jedi, but that would not be funny or fun for anyone. So here are a few other The Last Jedi jokes I like. I really like, this is a subtle one, I like Finn's delivery of May the Force Be With You that he says to Rose right after Rose has basically been calling him a resistance hero. He doesn't know how to end the conversation. So then he kind of stands up straighter and tries to look like a resistance hero and says stiffly, may the force be with you. Now, this is a great one that is funny to me because it is organically funny from Finn's perspective. And it also relies upon our cultural experience with Star Wars. We know that it is true that rebel heroes, resistance heroes, leaders, often say, may the force be with you. And they do say it as a send-off, as a way to end a conversation, to boldly, with pride and confidence, send people off to the next step of their adventure. May the force be with you. Now, in a world, Finn also has this knowledge, but he has just been presented with the idea that he is a resistance hero. He does not think he is a resistance hero. He doesn't want to be a resistance hero. He is trying to run away. But... He wants to end this awkward conversation with Rose, so he attempts to say what he thinks a resistance hero would say. He doesn't say it well, he doesn't say it with confidence, and so we get this great uh, contrast from our memory of what a resistance hero should sound like and what Finn sounds like. And again, comedy, totally subjective, up to the delivery— I think uh, John Boyega is a natural, great comedian, and he communicates all of that. He communicates this is an awkward conversation. I don't know how to get out of it, so I will try ending it abruptly. By the way, I think resistance hero conversations are supposed to end, but I don't have a lot of confidence, and uh, everyone can see through my bravado. All of that is there. Another personal favorite from The Last Jedi is the Porg Scream. I love the Porg Scream. I love that it is long and guttural and beautiful. And this is a great example of really clear-cut, straightforward contrast. We have the setup line of Chewbacca. Chewbacca is a mighty warrior. We expect him to roar when he goes into battle. Then we have the punchline. We have a mighty roar from a little weirdo space puffin. This is just contrast uh, at its most simple, at its most beautiful. Big, mighty roar. Little crappy roar. That's basically what it was, and it delights me every time. And speaking of chewy eating porgs, I want to talk about that. That's another one that gets plenty of big laughs in the theater. It did at all five showings that I attended. And that's one that... On the surface, it seems like that. It's very straightforward. Yes, everybody everybody gets the joke. But then when you really think about, well, how does it function? What is the contrast? It becomes really interesting. We have a cultural agreement that, yes, many of us cook and eat animals. That's fine. And yet we all agree we shouldn't eat animals directly in front of the kind of animal that we're eating. That's weird. 
and strange and very human that we can be totally fine with. Yes, there is nothing I love at the end of the day more than a cheeseburger unless a cow is looking at me. Then suddenly, it's deeply uncool. This moment in The Last Jedi is also great to talk not only about the function of comedy, how the jokes work, but the purpose of the comedy, because while it's a a very fun moment in the film, it's a little on the dark side. I don't mean the forced dark side, I mean the dark side that we have here uh, in the spectrum of humor jokes on the planet Earth. Anyway, the purpose of comedy is, of course, to generate a laugh, to generate that little bit of joy. It physically, mentally, uh, chemically makes us feel better when we smile, when we laugh. Many, many of the things that make us laugh, the vast majority of things that make us laugh, have some darkness to them. The creation and the result of a joke is, by its nature, violent. It is not peaceful, That is why all of our words about comedy are action-oriented. You crack a joke. You break someone up. But out of that violence is born a little bit of light, the happiness and the joy of laughter. Often uh, jokes contain an idea about society, an idea about the nature of humans. By making a joke about, hey, a thing I I did today doesn't make any sense will give you, the listener, if it's a good joke, a moment of catharsis because you remember that you're not alone in if you did something today that doesn't make sense. So there's this explosion of light, this joy, actual chemical joy of laughing, and a lot of times catharsis because of the nature of the idea. So taking something like Chewie is eating maybe the brother, the sister, the father of that porg, right in front of him. Chewie is eating possibly a family member in front of an other family member. That is dark. And yet, this dark moment is funny because it allows us to reflect on the reality of existence, almost what Luke is trying to teach Ray. There's a balance between light and dark. There is a cycle to life. Sometimes you eat a porg, the cycle of life. I might have really lost track of that there at the end, but I think you get the spirit of what I'm saying. Uh, To use our great Star Wars metaphors, I think the purpose of comedy is sometimes to use the dark side to create a little bit of light side power. Now, I know I'm doing an episode of Star Wars Counseling about whether or not the comedy works in Star Wars, so let me talk a little bit about jokes that I don't think are as successful in The Last Jedi. So I think a lot about timing. So I keep talking about jokes being built out of this contrast. Well, you still, that's basically like the recipe. You still need to cook a good dish. So that a lot of that comes in the timing of the joke. And, uh... An interesting thing to me about seeing The Last Jedi multiple times and observing when the audience laughs and when they don't is because I get to think about all this comedy theory stuff. In that whole great scene between Finn and Rose where they're having this awkward conversation, there's a joke that I really like, but it doesn't get a laugh in the theater because of timing and structure. So Rose, in her initial sort of disbelief that she is talking to Finn... She uses the funny phrase, uh, here I am doing talking, 
with a resistance hero and doing talking. She then go, later goes back for it and says, doing talking. Um, I'm paraphrasing. But the doing talking, which is the joke part, is in the middle of her sentence. So it doesn't land as a big laugh line to the audience, which isn't necessarily a failed joke. It is all about what kind of response you want. Because when you want a whole audience as a big group to laugh, you have to make that contrast really clear. If comedy comes from two different ideas being smashed together in order to get a big laugh from a large group of people, you have to pull those two items that are going to smash together way out to the extreme. It has to be as extreme as Chewie is eating a porg in front of another porg. If Chewie was just eating a porg and Ray said, maybe you shouldn't do that, that wouldn't get a huge laugh. It is that huge contrast that gets the laugh. And this is an example in the rows of like a a small moment that doesn't get a huge laugh in the theater, but I think is still funny and nice and subtle. And I smile and I chuckle a little bit to myself, but it's not a huge belly laugh. Now, it's interesting to me to think like, was that desired to be a belly laugh? And if you wanted it to be a belly laugh, you could have tried to reorganize the sentence so the doing talking was at the end. So she's like, I, I can't believe I'm here with the resistance leader and I'm doing talking. Then we have room to have the joke land. Here's another uh, joke point that I think had a fascinating reaction in my viewings. So there's um, Maz's big sex moment. Now, you may be listening and saying, the hell are you talking about, Scrimshaw? Uh, in Maz's scene where she is talking about the master codebreaker, I can't remember the exact line, but she uh, says a line towards the end of the scene where she says he's basically good at everything. And there's a, a relatively clear sexual implication. And Finn and Rose have a little take, like, did she just say that? Is that, is that what's happening? And to me, this is another thing where I think that's such an interesting line. That is, to me, an intellectually funny line and idea, but it never got a huge laugh in any of my five viewings. Now, my five viewings could have been unique. Who knows? It could be killing other places. I don't know. But it's a great example to think about the idea of setup lines as cultural agreements and then the punchlines coming as a reaction to that cultural agreement. So what is the setup line in that? Is the setup line in that joke? The joke is basically Moz is talking about doing sex stuff with Justin Thoreau. So the setup has to be the cultural agreement that Moz doesn't have sex, that we don't expect Moz to be talking about sex in this moment, that Moz's physiology is not compatible in some way with the master codebreaker we don't exactly know and the joke is kind of that maybe finn and rose are also confused um and to me when i was watching it i think it's interesting i think it's intriguing that maz has a rich and varied sex life because that makes sense to me so to me it doesn't land as like a uh it doesn't land as a hilarious joke because I feel like the information I'm being given is Maz has a rich and interesting sex life. That's the setup line. And then the punchline is Rose and Finn going, huh, weird. So the contrast isn't quite there to make it all track to me. Now, I'm very thankful for that line because to me, it's a very funny thing that I am spending my life discussing the sex life of a small CGI woman. That 
is a funny contrast. If somebody said, hey, how do you think you're going to spend uh, your liberal arts degree? How are you going to use your liberal arts degree in life? And I would have said, ah, I will be sitting alone in my home talking into a microphone about Star Wars characters' sex lives. Now, to address a couple other comedy moments in The Last Jedi, I want to bring up a specific comedy theory that is close to my heart. There are uh, many different philosophers who wrote uh, papers, wrote ideas about uh, how comedy works, and one of them uh, is a French person named Henri Bergson. And Henri Bergson, Henri Bergson, Henri Bergson had uh, a, Henri Bergson sounds like the kind of person Moscanada would have sex with. Anyway, uh, he had this very specific idea of the poles of contrast, the two things that get smashed together to produce comedy. And he described them like this. On the one hand, you have the encrustation of the mechanical on the living, and on the other side, you have l'en vital. So the basic idea of this incrustation of the mechanical on the living versus élan vital is that incrustation of the mechanical on the living is exactly what it sounds like. It is rigid. It is unbending. It is the ideas that we place upon ourselves as humans to try to be right. It is all straight lines and 90-degree angles. It's rigidity. Ilan Vital has been interpreted a couple different ways, but it's usually just the idea of being organic, of being flowing, about being connected to something deeper and truer and more human down in your soul. And to me, when you are analyzing Star Wars comedy, man, this is a great idea to use. Basically, the rigid, the unmoving versus the free, the flowing, the patient, the open. An example of this really specific comedy contrast in real life is autocorrect. Um, that's literally the incrustation of the mechanical on the living. I have a friend once who was, uh, after a bad thing happened in the world, was trying to reach out with all of her humanity, all of her love, and share a Mr. Rogers quote. And the Mr. Rogers quote is, I love you all. You are my family. And autocorrect changed it to, I love you all, you ate my family. That is hilarious. A uh, little bit of a chewy in the porg humor there. Uh, but it, it is a great example of the rigidity of a computer that thinks it is doing the right thing. Clearly you meant eight. Contrasted with the humanity of, there's been a tragedy and my friend was trying to express something flowing and loving in the incrustation of the mechanical on the living smashed up against her lawn vital. So some great examples of this that are really uh, on the nose in The Last Jedi is Leia's really funny line when she tells uh, 3PO to wipe that nervous expression off his face. Of course, uh, nervous expression, that's something emotional, that's something uh, vital and real. It is a, a very vital and real and human thing for Leia to say. And of course, 3PO is a robot with an unmoving face who literally physically can't have expressions. And yet there's also this great contrast because we know this about 3PO, that he is not capable of, he can nod his head or move his body or shrug his shoulders, but uh, he can't actually change his facial expression, the incrustation of the mechanical on the living, versus we know that 3PO is an emotional, expressive, human, sentient thing. 
human sentient thing. So we have the Alain Vital there. So that's a great uh, uh, example of that. But the big one is the joke that kicks off the film, and that is the whole phone call with General Hugs. Not General Hux, General Hugs. So this is, to me, uh, one of... After quite a long time about of going on about Incrustation of the Mechanical on the Living versus Elan Vital, one of the best examples of it that I have ever seen because we know Hux to be rigid, a level of rigidity that is not natural to humanity to be so uh, obsessed with the first order, literally order, with rules, with straight lines, 90-degree angles, anything else is wrong, and it affects him. It affects him to the point where he is so predictable. Basically, hey, if you make contact with any of these resistant scum, you tell them they're scum. That's just what you do. That is in the playbook. That is the way it should go. That is the encrustation of the mechanical on the living. He is not holding an ideology. He is being physically held in this rigid stance and rigid behaviors by his ideology. Now, we smash that up with good old Poe. Loose, organic, flowing, full-of-life Poe. Has a sense of humor Poe. Has a sense of creativity. His plan is creative, and that is why General Hugs can't see it because he is too rigid compared to the creative uh, vital force, the Elan Vital, that is Poe Dameron. And this is another example of why I get so obsessed about comedy, because not only is that a discussion of how does the, the joke function, is that uh, Poe says something surprising Hux doesn't know how to answer, so he answers in a predictable way, and you get this smash-up of different uh, perspectives, different understanding of the conversation. But in talking about it, you get a deeper understanding of the characters, and I think the lessons of Star Wars. Don't be general hugs. Don't be that rigid. Be loose. Be creative. Be in touch with your humanity like Poe Dameron. Anyway, I want to get back to the original grievance about Luke Skywalker and the discussion about whether or not his comedy works and did any of it come from Mark Hamill? And I have a couple of thoughts on that. My first thought being, who knows? Uh, I wasn't on set, so I don't know exactly how much the jokes were. uh, You know, there's going to be a certain amount of working together as a writer and an actor, a writer-director, Ryan Johnson, an actor, Mark Hamill, finding those beats, choosing how to play them, all of those kind of things. But I feel like if this was just Mark Hamill saying to to Ryan Johnson, hey, I've got an idea, I want to um, include a funny line about Jakku, or I want to even uh, deliver it this way, I feel like if it was Mark Hamill just running wild, and I say this as a huge fan of Mark Hamill, I think there would have been a few more puns. Check out Mark Hamill's Twitter. He likes big, bold, brassy jokes. Uh, and I think even uh, more dad jokes. He calls them dad jokes. He did a great bit of trolling the other day where he pretended not to know what a dad joke was so people would tweet him what a dad joke was. That is Mark Hamill's uh, great sense of humor. And I I don't see anything in The Last Jedi that to me is like a a dad joke. Now, uh, you go look at Ryan Johnson's Twitter, and I feel like he has a very wry sense of humor. He has a uh, sense of humor that is 
very aware of everything that is going on, about the cultural reaction to Star Wars, about the cultural place in Star Wars, about the fact that he is a fan of Star Wars who has a Twitter account, but now he's also the writer-director of the latest Star Wars movie and speaking with some amount of authority. But maybe he doesn't necessarily always want to exert that authority. He wants to kind of say something as a fan. He, he's saying big, bold jokes and jokes that I think are funny, but there's a lot of context. There's a lot of subtlety. If there was like a school of comedy handwriting analysis and you compared Ryan Johnson's Twitter to the comedy in The Last Jedi, you'd be like, yes, that's the same person. The same person did this. Now, none of that is to disparage uh, Mark Hamill. It's just to kind of point out a tonal difference in senses of humor from the actual human beings, Mark Hamill and Ryan Johnson. I think there is a ton of Mark Hamill in The Last Jedi in the Luke Skywalker, uh, the portrayal of Luke Skywalker, because Mark Hamill co-created Luke Skywalker. I think there is a kindness and a sensitivity and a love of comedy. If you uh, listen to interviews with Mark Hamill, he talks a lot about his deep love for old comedy, for Laurel and Hardy and the Marx Brothers and the, the Three Stooges. He is a fan of comedy, and I think Luke, going back to A New Hope, has had a great sense of humor. The line I like and talk about a lot of the I care when no one is really listening to him. It's delivered deftly with a knowledge that this is going to be kind of funny in the context that it's delivered. I think he is a student of comedy delivery. So I think that while a lot of the ideas of what Luke Skywalker is going to be, where his perspective is at, how these jokes are going to play, I think Mark Hamill is absolutely the kind of actor who says, oh, I see there, there's this joke. I can play it this way. I can play it that way. I can play it this way. And I think if you sent some Mark Hamill in there, I think that's totally true and as it should be because Mark Hamill co-created Luke Skywalker, put something of himself in it, and is a deft performer of comedy. I also think that Mark Hamill really, really cares about the character of Luke Skywalker. And obviously there's been, uh, I think, a very convoluted discussion in the media about what is Mark Hamill's position. Uh, now, my opinion is that Mark Hamill has said repeatedly, hey, when I got the script, I was really shocked. But then I talked to Ryan, I worked with Ryan, and I came around to really liking what Ryan was doing with the character. I think a lot of what uh, Mark Hamill has said has been taken out of context to support people who don't like The Last Jedi. And if you don't like The Last Jedi, that's just fine. But I don't think that, um, I don't think that Mark Hamill would ever, ever want to insert, like, a bit of big, wacky business to a moment of Luke Skywalker just because it felt like it needed something. I feel like Mark Hamill would want every beat of big, glorious comedy that comes from Luke Skywalker to make sense to the character of Luke Skywalker, and in my opinion, it really does. And on that note... I want to address one last comedy bit, and that is Luke Skywalker's shoulder brush off. The moment that launched a thousand gifts. Anyway, uh, I have heard this from a couple of people that are concerned that they don't like that moment because they think that gesture is too much 
of our world, too much of Earth. And uh, I'm with you in that concern. I don't think this moment is too much of our world, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. But I, uh, my, my most disliked things in Star Wars are things like when Jar Jar says, Excuse me which is a thing that the comedian Mike Myers said. And I don't feel like uh, we need species in Star Wars to, you know, lift jokes from Mike Myers. Anyway, but there are lots of things in Star Wars that do acknowledge our real-world culture. Going back to A New Hope, when uh, Han Solo says, this isn't like dusting crops. Luke's a moisture farmer. I don't think he dusts crops. That's an Earth thing. Um many, many other examples across the entire history of Star Wars, including Excuse Me. So for good or bad, things that are blatantly pop culture related are going to find their way into Star Wars. This, to me, is a fascinating thing about cultural agreement, uh, because to me, the gesture of you didn't hurt me, I'm doing fine, I'm cool, dusting your shoulders off, is an old thing. I I don't even know where it started, where it came from. But to people of a different age or a different perspective, I've heard people say, like, doesn't that just come from that Jay-Z song, Dust Off Your Shoulder? Uh, And to me, uh, I I understand that's probably where it became a big cultural moment, a big cultural gesture. But to me, it's not from that song. Uh, It's not the same as if Luke Skywalker started, you know, quoting the lyrics to Paradise City. It's not as specific as that. I think it is a gesture that has existed, at least in my mind, for a long time to mean generally what it meant in The Last Jedi. And I want to talk a little bit about how that joke functions. First off, every time I've seen the movie, there has been a laugh in that it's a joke But there's also been clapping, and there is an emerging term for this kind of moment in comedy, which is clapter. Uh, It happens a lot when a comedian who is performing in front of a generally like-minded audience says something that is funny, but it's also just something that the audience really agrees with. You'll get the response of clapter, where people are laughing, but they're also sort of clapping and cheering. And every time I have seen the uh, shoulder brush-off moment in The Last Jedi, it has been clapter. So what is creating the contrast that makes that funny? To me, it is the size of the bombardment. Here we have the setup line that is basically one huge blast from that ATM-6. And then every gun, as Kylo commands, blast and blast and blast and blast. There is no way that somebody should have been able to survive that ridiculously huge bombardment. So then we have the great contrast of not only am I alive, but the only thing that happened in that entire bombardment is I got a little speck of salt on my awesome Jedi robe. Let me brush it off. So there's this great absurd contrast between the size of the bombardment and the damage caused, a speck of dust. Now, what is really interesting to me about this as a joke. I was talking earlier about when the characters are making jokes on purpose, they shouldn't be making them for the benefit of the audience. That's a thing that I don't like. I think that's a lot of things that audiences in general don't like. In this example, Luke is doing this not for the audience watching. He's doing it for an audience of one. He is doing it 
for Kylo Ren. This is not Luke Skywalker or Mark Hamill or Ryan Johnson even saying, hey, I want to make uh, all these people laugh and clap. I mean, I'm sure that Mark Hamill and Ryan Johnson realized that might be a thing that happens. But to me, the purpose of it is Luke is messing with Kylo. He is trying to scare him and on balance him. Kylo fears that Luke is undefeatable. So did Snoke. The actions of the First Order, most of the actions of the First Order through the first two films in the sequel trilogy are predicated on the idea that Jedi Master Luke Skywalker is unkillable. So basically, Luke is throwing all of that back into Kylo's face and saying, yeah, yeah, you should be afraid. I am unkillable. And the more times we see the movie, we even get this great meta joke where the contrast is created between what we are seeing to be the truth and what we know to be the truth. Luke is saying, here I am. Here is this Jedi master you fear so much. Here is unkillable legend Luke Skywalker. You blasted every gun you have, and it didn't even affect me. It affected me so little that I had to mock you by pretending to move a speck off my Jedi robe. That is the setup line. And the punchline, in a way, is that the truth is totally opposite. That Luke Skywalker does not want to fight. He is not here to physically stand up to the First Order. He is on another planet, far away, working very, very hard to peacefully help the Resistance and the galaxy. And it's not a ha-ha-ha-ha contrast, but it is an amazing meta-contrast joke that Kylo sees this image of Luke is unbeatable Jedi Master. And the truth is, Luke is human. Luke is wounded. Luke is vulnerable. Luke doesn't want to fight. This uh, dust-off-the-shoulder moment is also a great example of good old Henri Bergson's encrustation of the mechanical on the living versus the Elan Vital, because we have this great contrast between the literal machinery of the First Order lined up, ready to destroy, and then we have Elan Vital. We have a living spirit, like, actually, really, Luke isn't there. That is just the power of his spirit. So it is literally the spirit of Luke Skywalker, the organic, flowing, creative Elan Vital of Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, contrasted with the rigid, obsessive, angry, unthinking machinery of the First Order, the literal encrustation of the mechanical on the living. And that translates right down to Kylo himself. Kylo is too uptight, too set in his ways to even consider seeing the truth of what is happening. And so, to me, this great joke is one that is told by Luke Skywalker. We, the audience, get to laugh and get to clap, but the joke is for and on Kylo Ren. Okay, I have been talking 
a lot because I spent so much money on that degree. Thank you all for uh, for listening. I do want to do uh, some specific counseling because this is mostly uh, that was mostly me sharing my perspective to see if that uh, helped anybody who has this grievance about the comedy in the Last Jedi to change their mind. But here are some bits of direct counseling to answer the grievance. I would say very specifically, try not to think of the funny moments in the Last Jedi as jokes, because for the most part, they're not being told by the characters as jokes. They are things that the characters are honestly, honestly, logically doing and saying to get reactions from other characters. So if you don't like them as jokes, just try to watch them as that's not funny. That's just a moment that is happening to be between characters. Why? How? What does it mean about the characters? Another bit of counseling I will give you is if you don't like the comedy in The Last Jedi, simply rely on the mists of time. And what I mean by that is as time goes on, the way we as fans watch Star Wars movies, we watch them obsessively and they start to just become Star Wars movies. I was talking about this a a lot at the top about A New Hope. There are parts of A New Hope that are clearly laugh-out-loud funny jokes intended to make a theater full of people laugh in 1977. And sometimes when we're watching, we go, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a joke, that's a joke. And other times, it just sort of flattens out to, this is a part of Star Wars. And you don't see it for the big, bold, brassy joke that it is. And I think in time, that also will happen with The Last Jedi. My final bit of counseling is super absurd in celebration of comedy. Now, there's been lots of discussion about uh, The Last Jedi's reception, and in particular, is it what George Lucas would have wanted? We have a report that George Lucas said he saw it and that he told Ryan Johnson he enjoyed it. Now, if you really want to feel like, yes, The Last Jedi is not breaking the spirit of Star Wars, it is in the spirit of Star Wars. It is in the spirit of of the creator George Lucas, and specifically in the spirit of George Lucas's sense of humor, a fun thing you could do is go through a bunch of old interviews and commentary, find examples, audio clips of George Lucas laughing, and then when the Blu-ray of The Last Jedi comes out, you could mix together your own George Lucas-specific laugh track of George Lucas himself laughing at the jokes in The Last Jedi, because I personally think he would. And by God, if you do this, if you make a George Lucas laugh track set to The Last Jedi, please, please share it with me. Anyway, if you are struggling with some of the moments of comedy in The Last Jedi, I hope that all of that discussion brought you a little closer from the dark side to the light. And if you just want to test out some of my theories about comedy and contrast, go to a young Star Wars fan, ask them what noise a Porg makes, and then say, moo, and see if you get a laugh or if they hit you with a toy lightsaber. I think one of the two will happen. That is just about it for this episode. We still have a few more grievances from The Last Jedi we'll be tackling. We've been getting some other general Star Wars grievances. We'll be getting on to those. Then Solo will come out and we'll talk about Solo and it will all be great. You can always send me your grievances if they're about The Last Jedi, Solo, or Star Wars stuff in general. You can send them to me on Twitter, on Facebook. Please use the hashtag... Hashtag Star Wars Counseling. Now, in the past, I have asked you to use the hashtag SW Counseling. I wanted you to do that 
back when like Twitter was 140 characters instead of 280 characters. And honestly, most people use Star Wars Counseling anyway. So you know what? Death to hashtag SW Counseling. Life to hashtag Star Wars Counseling. Send me those grievances with the hashtag Star Wars Counseling. And speaking of sending things, you can send those to me on social media at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram. My handle is just my name. You can also check out my other podcast, Obsessed. Information on that and all of my comedy adventures, including my uh, comedy album that I should maybe mention. I have multiple comedy albums. Uh, I have Flaw Fest, which is one I really like. And then I also have Rebel Scum, which is about Star Wars and social justice. You can find information about all that stuff on my website at josephsgrimshaw.com. You can, and dare I say should, also like Force Center on Facebook and follow us on Twitter is at Force Center Pod. You can support our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Force Center, and you can buy our merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And until next time, as Han Solo once said in a moment of brutal honesty, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one. That's it for Star Wars Counseling. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.